If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Let us bow our heads together. Have you heard how the poet Paul Willis retold the resurrection, Holy One? We were on our way home from Good Friday service, he writes. It is dark. It is silent. Sunday, says Hannah, Jesus will be rosing from the dead. It must have been like that. A white blossom or maybe a red one pulsing from the floor of the tomb, reaching around the Easter stone and levering it aside with pliant thorns. The soldiers overcome with the fragrance and Mary at sunrise, mistaking the dawn-dewed rose of Sharon for the untamable gardener. Help us, Holy One, to turn aside at just the right moment to notice the blossom, the bud, the first green blade poking through the dirt, declaring life to have conquered death. Let this day be a day to see the stone rolled away, to rejoice at the empty tomb, to hold lightly the mystery of it all. Indeed, we could all use a little rosing. We pray in the name of Jesus, the one who loved us into life. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. 
Do not be alarmed, he said to them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Easter is as familiar to Christians as a sunrise. The Reverend T. Denise Anderson reflects on this by asking if we ever actually consider the mechanics of a sunrise. The Earth, she writes, spinning at 1,000 miles per hour, traveling an orbit of 584 million miles around a star, that's about a million times the size of our planet, is dizzying. But because we've come to expect sunrises every day, we're not too impressed by them. Often we sleep right through them. That doesn't make them any less awesome or miraculous, of course. We often treat Easter the same way. We know what to expect. This day is practically routine. We know the story, or at least one variation, and we likely expect to greet the day the same way every single year. But if we sit in the tension of the last week, the week leading up to Easter, we may be able to experience this day differently. Mark's gospel is, again, straightforward. There are no frills in this resurrection account. There's, there's really not much joy in it either, either. Sunday morning was a time of profound grief for those closest to Jesus. Everyone who's experienced the death of a loved one and the liminality between their death and funeral knows about this. There is no closure yet, and mornings are reminders that the nightmare is real. It can be hard to imagine how you'll face the day, and this is where today's text starts. The women are trying to face the day after all of the terror. Friday and Saturday's terror gives way to a new fear as the women arrive to find the stone removed and a strange young man with an outlandish story waiting for them. Remember that nothing about this site is recognizable to them. This isn't comforting to them. And for us, well, it's when the story really starts to go off the rails. I mean, the stone just magically rolled away. The gospel writer Matthew must have anticipated this objection. Perhaps Matthew was a Congregationalist. After all, he attempts to offer a more reasonable explanation for how the stone was rolled away. He writes, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. An earthquake. Got it. That's how the stone was rolled away. 
of course, that the earthquake was caused by an angel teleporting to Earth is kind of not scientific, but Matthew tries. Mark, on the other hand, does not bother with any kind of explanation. The women simply arrive at the tomb and the stone is rolled away. It is at this point that they should have left the scene. Cue the scary music, sound the alarm. It's a trap, run away. Something is up, girlfriends. That stone is not where it should be. But before we get too far into the rolled away stone, before we get to the declaration that Christ is risen, we might consider what the women were even doing at the tomb. Why were they there? We are so familiar with the story that we forget to be surprised by their action. Many of us, writes theologian Nicola Torbett, are steeped in a dominant culture in which death is to be avoided. We are encouraged to look away, to focus elsewhere, to get back to work, to avoid the tombs where the crucified are buried. Most likely, we would not have walked to the tomb with them. The male disciples sure didn't. But the women moved towards the tomb against anyone's best advice or expectations or reason. The women carry with them spices, which suggests that they expect to find a corpse and they are going to properly perform burial rites. But it's also possible they carry the spices with them to anoint the risen Christ, much like Mary had anointed Jesus with the costly perfume. After all, they had been followers of Jesus since his days in Galilee and had heard his predictions that after three days he would rise from the dead. So are these women faithful followers awaiting the risen Christ? Or are they dejected mourners determined to bury the dead decently. Perhaps they are both faithful followers and dejected mourners. Either way, the way they move towards the tomb is an, a remarkable act of resistance. If they go there expecting to anoint the risen Christ, they make a political and theological claim that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. So that is why they move towards the tomb. But if they are going there expecting a corpse, they are still walking towards the tomb of a man crucified by the empire at their request of religious leaders. Known associates risked facing the same fate to say nothing of their reputations. Had they been caught, who knows what, have, what would have happened. But still, they move towards the tomb on the eve of Holy Week, several people who are incarcerated in the Oklahoma County Jail took a correctional officer hostage and used the officer's phone to live stream on Facebook the inhumane conditions in which they are held. No food, no showers, the water doesn't work half the time, the toilets are constantly backed up. The Oklahoma City Police Department and the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office responded and the officer being held was eventually taken to a hospital for treatment and is expected to be okay, although they shot one of the people holding the officer hostage, and he later died. So far in 2021, five 
people incarcerated in the county jail have died there. In 2018, seven people incarcerated in the county jail died there, and six deaths were reported in 2019. And in 2020, six other people died there. The county jail is a tomb. And how about those still not closed immigration detention centers along our border? The ones that have no regulations or enforceable standards regarding detention conditions, including access to medical treatment, mental health care, transfers, and access to telephones and legal services. They may look like tent cities or cages, but they are tombs. Then there are the places in our own lives and in the lives of our neighbors, the ones who have been isolated by economics, dogma, ideology, insecurity, disability, discrimination. Some of us cannot remember the last time we felt sunlight in our souls. Our own realities can become tombs that hold us captive, seal us away from the living, and cut us off from hope. And who is walking towards those places? The church? Who will be the ones to carry the good news to a place where people have been relegated to literal and figurative death? Who will be the ones who walk towards the dark corners in each other's lives with the intent of pushing away all that is blocking the sunlight. According to our story, we are the people for this work, people who will move towards heartbreak and towards heartache, people who are prepared with, to administer care and blessings. For us to move towards the tomb is to follow in the footsteps of the women on that first Easter morning. It is to intentionally associate ourselves with people being held captive. It is to intentionally come alongside those who are in trouble, with those who do not have a squeaky clean record, with those who have been declared guilty, untouchable, outcast. And like the women in the text, we will need to carry with us materials for tending and blessing to be used on the dead and the living. It is to tell the empire that we are watching and we are not afraid. There is a notable objection to this call to action. And we find it in the text in the Gospel of Mark. You may have thought it odd to end the reading after the eighth verse. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I mean, that's the ending, full stop, done. Should we really be looking to these women as models for living if they ended up fleeing? It is pretty awkward to say the least. I mean, I mean, we typically keep reading. Even now, some of you are hoping that I might do that. But verse eight is where Mark originally stopped. The rest was added later, in part because humans just can't stand to be uncomfortable. And the original text is very uncomfortable, especially if it's supposed to 
end with the good news. I mean, they said nothing to anyone. They were too afraid. This is utterly disappointing. We are left wanting. As theologian Mary Ann Tolbert writes, to end the gospel on such a resounding note of failure is very upsetting from a modern perspective. After observing Jesus' continual struggles to make his male disciples understand his teachings and seeing their ultimate failure, we want so much for someone in the story to prove faithful. But from this ancient perspective, the very point of the Gospel of Mark may rest with this painful ending. Ancient writing was intended to do things, to make people act or believe or change their behavior, not just to entertain them with a suitably completed literary experience. The expectations raised and then crushed by the end of the gospel are intended to move the hearers of the gospel to action. If the women do not carry the message, is there anyone else who can? Is there anyone else who has heard Jesus preaching, seen his healings, watched his crucifixion and burial, and listened to the wondrous announcement of the resurrection? The audience of the gospel has heard all of this. At the end, and indeed by the means of the end itself, the audience of the Gospel of Mark is challenged to become faithful disciples, carrying the message to the world, doing what some characters in the Gospel could not. So it is with us. We hear this unsatisfactory ending, and instead of just plowing through to get to the added ending, we instead might hear echoes of the question from the Lord in the book of Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Perhaps this isn't exactly the Easter sermon you expected to hear, but I trust you did not come this morning expecting to be entertained. I trust you did not come for a suitably completed literary experience. I could think of no better way to celebrate Easter than to read a story that is intended to move us towards the tomb of our own time and inspire us to create a different ending. We are indeed people of the resurrection so double knot those laces, church, we've got miles and miles to go. Oh, happy Easter. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.